Hello and welcome to Series 3 of the Female Athlete Podcast. We're dedicated to opening up the conversation around female physiology and women's health around sport and exercise. So join us as we open up the conversation. Thank you to our title sponsor for this season, Umi Health. Now, Georgie and Jess, you'll already know, but I've personally signed up to Umi's free online course called Essentials by Umi. And I've been blown away by how much easily digestible and useful information there was all in one place um, around the topics to do with pelvic health, such as the core, to cooing, sex, and of course, information all around the pelvic floor, from its function to its anatomy and lots of muscle exercises. There's another membership option as well called Umi Plus, um, which covers even more information about pregnancy and postnatal. And it's just amazing how this life-changing information is all at your fingertips. And it's for the price of a smoothie each month. Arm yourself with the knowledge you deserve to understand your body better and exercise in a way that is mindful of your long-term pelvic health. Come join the revolution at umi-health.com. That's umi-health.com. So today on the podcast, we're taking a bit of a dive into and speaking with another, I say, a female role model. Um, and we're delighted to have with us Katie Lydon. Katie is a medical doctor who uh, trained in Ireland and has a keen interest in sport and exercise. And she was also a very sort of um, promising young athlete herself, which we'll go into. Um, she's worked within sort of sports teams and within hospital care. And has also gone on to produce a number of publications and researching specifics around female health. So welcome to the Female Athlete Podcast, Katie. Thanks you very much. This episode is sponsored by Specialized. Specialized Bikes is the global leading bike brand aiming to serve all riders of all abilities, helping them to better enjoy every aspect of cycling. From performance to leisure, from mountain to road cycling, whether it is for your mental or physical health, Specialized's innovation has improved riders' performance, comfort and understanding to enable all riders to go further and faster. Head to Specialized.com to see how it's helping pedal the planet forwards. So Katie, first of all, trying to get a bit of an idea of what led you down your medical career path. Um, as Jess mentioned, you were also a real promising um, athlete in your in your day. Um, do you feel that you're, you obviously suffered a very bad injury? Did that put a spanner in the works in terms of your athletic endeavours, of course, but did you feel that that helped push you more towards the academic side of, of sport and exercise? Yes, I, I think I definitely agree with that. Um, I, I got injured very young in my career, I guess, and, and the Olympics was my aspiration. Um, but unfortunately, that wasn't to be. Um, and at the time, I didn't feel like my injury was managed very well. So it seemed to be an endless kind of circle going round and round in circle with rest and rehab and rest and rehab. And that, that went on for, for longer than I thought and longer than I could tolerate almost. Um, and that really pushed me then into finding out ways in which we could better manage athletes and in particular female athletes so I grew up on the west coast of Ireland um, which at the time didn't have I guess the best um, experience or or, um, physicians in in sports and exercise medicine Um, now it's much better um, but I was left behind with a bit of a conundrum and eventually then went to Dublin to seek help but at that stage it was too late Um, and since then I guess that spurred my interest in sports and exercise medicine in particular how to better support uh, female athletes. 
Yeah. And what was the injury specifically? Like, was it, um, am I right in saying it was athletics that you did or? Yeah. So I was a sprinter um, uh, and I guess an aspiring sprinter at that. Um, I was a hundred and 200 meter uh, runner and I detached my hamstring from my ischial tuberosity, which is the bone that you sit on. Um, so it's a pretty, like it's pretty catastrophic uh, injury. And while I did get back training to, to some level, I guess it was always in the back of my mind and kind of endless pain after sessions kind of put a halt to it all. Um, and my uh, gym days were replaced by days in the library instead. <laughs> well, it sort of uh, served you well now for your uh, medical career, I suppose. But at the time, I can imagine that was uh, really frustrating for yourself. Um, and this has obviously given you a lot of passion for sort of female athletes and female health uh, from a medical standpoint. And I think you have been involved in um, female teams like the, the Dublin Ladies, for example. Um, and that was quite a unique setup, wasn't it? What was it like to be part of sort of a, a unique setting like that? Can you just tell us how that worked at the time? Yeah, that, that was uh, it was great. I guess I was I was fortunate enough to, to work with them over two seasons um, and fortunate enough to work with a great nutritionist and physio um so we had like our, our own mdt so our multidisciplinary team like what you'd get in in the hospital setting to find to have um like if you're treating a patient in a hospital you've got this you know great multidisciplinary team that provides a holistic approach to patient care uh, and that's what we tried to um replicate in the team environment which means that you're, you can draw on everyone's strengths um, and really pull together to give the athlete the best care um, that you possibly can. Yeah, I think that's sort of the, the angle that is being steered towards by all of the research, isn't it? At the minute that, you know, all these athletes, you know, female athletes or female individuals who want to do physical activity, they're all unique and have their own experiences around things like the menstrual cycle. But we've also spoken to people about like pelvic health and uh, breast health and looking after all those other elements that make us females that we often forget. And I think it's things like setups like that are hopefully now becoming more um, apparent and uh, prominent within the sporting world. And hopefully that will stem down to Joe Bloggs. He wants to just go for a run and, and be happy with that as well. Um, and if we can think about, you know, athletes that you have seen or even patients that you have seen, do you find like the topic of hormonal contraceptives and the information around that for you as a like a medical practitioner is uh, readily available? And, you know, the, like the differences between a menstrual cycle and, you know, a period or a withdrawal bleed that you get from being on a hormonal contraceptive. What's that like for from your like medical standpoint, really? Um, that's a great question. And I think that's something that um practitioners such as myself need to to challenge a little bit more so unfortunately there's a huge amount of people on the pill or fortunately for that matter um but an awful lot of them aren't aware of like the pros and cons but I think that's probably because us as physicians don't delve into it so you've got like a, a 15 minute time period in which to get everything sorted um so things like bone health isn't really discussed you know um which is really, really important, especially for, you know, a, an adolescent that's going on to a type of, of contraceptive and, um, you know, the risk of osteoporosis in later life. I think all of that needs to be addressed. Um, but basic education is also uh, key. So 
a lot of athletes think they're having a normal period uh, when they're on the pill and they will call that a normal period when actually they're having a withdrawal bleed. So those kind of the terms need to be brought more back into the vernacular, I think. Um, and I think personally, I think we do we could do way better in terms of things like tracking our menstrual cycle. Um, and then there's the flip side, I guess, where you've got um, some physicians, unfortunately, will prescribe the pill to like jumpstart the cycle. Um, so in an adolescent that maybe hasn't started to menstruate or in an individual that was menstruating and then lost their cycle um, and no longer menstruated, I think we're very quick to jump to the pill to kind of sort that to regularize it. Um, when in fact, we need to be ruling out other sinister pathologies. And in the athletic population, things like REDS really needs to be investigated. Um, so I think while we've come so far, I think that we could do an awful lot better um, and education is, is always key. Um, but talking about it a little bit more about menstrual cycles and there seems to be this stigma. So we're, we're all women, um, the majority of us menstruate and yet none of us talk about it. <laughs> um, so it's kind of like the unspoken elephant in the room. I think the more we speak about it um, and accept it as uh, a species, a species, I think we will become better at, at trying to figure out differences in our cycles and then how to to manage those differences yeah absolutely and I think that is you know what we try to do on this podcast as well a little bit is just like put it out there and talk about it really openly I've actually got um a couple of questions do you um like tend to when you speak about the menstrual cycle or you know are you taking all contraceptive with patients in general do you what's the kind of reaction you get from women is it they're quite open to talk about it or some of them are a bit like oh you know a bit private about it is it very 50 50 or or do you do you find it one way or the other it's funny you should mention because I, I think women are are more inclined to talk about being on the pill or okay. having an implant or having the coil in than they are actually in talking about their menstrual cycle um so things like if you know you're taking a history from someone or you're having a chat you go oh do you use sanitary towels or tampons and they almost feel ashamed or, or yeah. embarrassed that you would ask such a question um but yeah I, it's it's a difficult one to broach but I think if you bring it in more regularly into the topics as, as I said before I think you can break down those barriers but definitely I think um we've we've a long way to go in establishing a, a norm um, with our, our menstrual cycles and discussion around that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it, we, when people start to talk about it, we sort of like close in a little bit sometimes mm. and people tend to feel a little bit more embarrassed. But it's like you say, like half the population has the, the you know, a menstrual cycle. So what's the big deal? My other question was, do you think, you know, the reason why there perhaps is a lack of education, you know, amongst the uh, population or you know it's not readily addressed within clinics for example is that because you know is there do you think there needs to be a change within education received by you know clinicians such as yourself and um, in terms of what you get known told at medical school definitely I, I think like I, I've I guess the majority of things I've learned about the menstrual cycle have occurred since I've graduated and since I've started working a little bit more or delving into this area in a little bit more detail um, I think there's not enough emphasis on how to broach it. So how, how to actually sit down and talk about it to an individual in terms of if you've got an individual that's quite embarrassed, um, it doesn't become routine in a, in a history 
for instance, some people will leave it out. Um, but I think we're making some strides, but yes, I think that there is, as I've repeated, we've, we've a lot more to do in that regard. Um, and I think that we will get there eventually. Like we've, uh, female participation in sport has, has increased massively. Like you're talking in since the, the Paris Olympics in 1900 to, to hopefully Tokyo in the next month, we'll have like, would have gone from like 2% up to nearly 50% participation. And that it, in itself then opens up another area of research and interest into, you're looking to find out if individuals can get that like 0.1% um, better in terms of their performance um, and things like ticking off everything, like how going into intricate details on their menstrual cycle can get that 0.1%. Uh, um, but it's important, obviously, that the right people are looking after them as well. And Katie, you also balance your medical work alongside research. Uh, a study that I saw you uh, part of was conducting research into the impact of PMS on athletes. Can you tell uh, the listeners a little bit about this and why you chose PMS and, and what is PMS and why this tends to be a time of the cycle where you do get a lot of symptoms? Yes. So PMS, I guess, has become my my area of, of real interest. So it stands for premenstrual uh, syndrome. So it's a a comp complex constellation of um, symptoms. So um, you've got physical and psychosocial symptoms that kind of occur in the like late luteal phase. So you're talking about five days before your menstruation, then kind of dissipate two to three days into the menstrual cycle. And while we don't know everything about why it occurs, um, it's believed to be, I guess, due to a complex interplay with um hormones such as progesterone and then you've got central neurotransmitters such as serotonin and GABA but not only those but also how the individual responds to those hormones and neurotransmitters um so I we delved into you know the effect of premenstrual syndrome on the athletic population so everywhere everyone from recreational to elite level athletes um, and analysis is still ongoing, so we don't have any definitive results to date, but certainly is really interesting in that uh, coming back to what I pointed out earlier on or what we discussed earlier on about uh, education, like not an awful lot of women um, were educated enough on their menstrual cycle, just in terms of basic terminology. You know, day one is the first day of your menstrual cycle, first day of bleeding. Um, and it highlighted an awful lot of discrepancies in, in how well our population is educated on their menstrual cycle, but also then on, you know, how um, how prevalent uh, premenstrual syndrome is compared to how many of those that have a, a diagnosis of it or how many of those are already on treatment. So there's a huge discrepancy there. Um, and um, happy to talk about it when the results are all analysed. Um, but uh, to date, that's that's still ongoing. That's brilliant. And how, how many um, participants have you got involved in that study? Uh, so we've over 2,000, nearly 2,200 participants um, from uh, 31 countries. Okay. Um, Amazing. Incredible. Um, our co-host Georgie um, often talks about, um, she's like our menstrual cycle guru, um, and she talks a lot about how the menstrual cycle is um, an inflammatory process. Is that something that you would describe it as? And, and is that another um, element to why women may may uh, suffer from um, premenstrual syndrome? Yeah, I think that's a good way to, to describe it. So the 
a menstrual cycle is, is shedding of the, the lining of the uterus when conception hasn't occurred. So it's an elimination process. So you've got this, um, a lot of uh, hormones and neurotransmitters obviously lead to an inflammatory effect. And then the shedding is that getting rid of all of that inflammation. So, you know, in the, in the days prior, you might get that increase in temperature, that bloating, breast tenderness. You know, some people get headaches, some people get constipated, some people get diarrhea. Um, and so not only do you get shedding of the uterus, but you're also the GI tract is hugely affected as well. So you'll obviously get that elimination. So a menstrual cycle is nothing to be afraid of. In fact, having one is kind of in telling you that your body is functioning normally. So if you've lost it, then you need to kind of, I guess, step back and um, alarm bells should be going off that, you know, something is not right here. Maybe you, you're overtraining, underfueling, for instance. Um, but if you're having a healthy menstrual cycle, um, you can be reassured. Or sorry, if you're having a, a menstrual cycle, you can be reassured that your body is is getting the optimal nutrition and health that it requires. Brilliant. And another area you've conducted research in, um, which I find particularly interesting, is is in the gut health and the female athlete. Um, why is this important and have you what did you find from this study are there certain stages of the cycle that tend to change our gut health or, and make us more responsive to certain foods yes so the gut is is along with the skin is probably one of the largest organ systems in the body um and a lot more we're talking a lot more now about like the gut brain access so how the gut links to the brain via various uh, neurotransmitters and hormones so it's that link between the central nervous system the autonomic nervous system the immune system and the endocrine systems um, and in terms of um, certain stages of the cycle um, or, or answering that part of the question that studies are very much conflicting in terms of the effect of the menstrual cycle on the gut transit for instance um, but anecdotally I definitely would say that there's a, an increase in um, gut transit time kind of in the couple of days before and during menstruation again kind of harping back to that kind of elimination process um and uh but i think further research is definitely needed in terms of the gastrointestinal symptoms during different phases of the menstrual cycle uh, and how to manage these going forward yeah and can i just jump in is there um a difference in sort of the metabolism process of like carbohydrates, proteins and fats at different stages of the menstrual cycle, even between men and women, I suppose. Yes. So definitely differences in between um, men and women, but in terms of actual um, like macro and micronutrients, I'm afraid I'd have to deflect to my nutrition colleagues on that one. Mm -hmm. um, it's not my, my absolute area. Uh, so I'm more of yeah. the, the medical. I think part, it's, yeah. I think I've looked up some of that. Um, work for some of my students actually and it's uh, very equivocal still like many things um, and I think obviously to get real intricate detail on like protein metabolism carbs you often need like biopsies and um, like long-term nutritional interventions and studies mm. that tend to need you know regulation of people which is always really hard to do isn't it but yeah and an I area I think you touch on it greatly there is that you need regulation so an awful lot of the studies to date will either choose individuals that have a normal 28 day cycle and not everyone has a normal 28 day cycle yeah. or choose those that are on a, a type of contraceptive purely because they have a regular cycle 
because the pill has has created that regular cycle. So it's very it is like real world analysis and in dealing with all of this is very very difficult because you have to find a, a yeah. standard. And and could you mentioned gut transit time? Um, does that have a, a kind of correlation between um, stomach issues that a woman may experience during her period or before her period, and having having um, yeah just having diarrhea or having those types of symptoms yeah absolutely so so generally individuals will get more diarrhea than constipation um and they might feel obviously that they're going a lot more often again back to the the elimination of everything um but absolutely definitely you'll get that individuals can be a little bit more sensitive to certain foods um you know fiber if you're eating loads of fiber at that stage you're just going to end up passing more and more bowel motions um and then you find might find that individuals, you know, start to crave certain foods and certain individuals don't. So it's very unique. And I guess that's why providing an individualized care plan or, or management uh, to these individuals is really, really important. There's no one way to fix everything. Um, we're all unique. And that's what makes it all um, challenging, but also very, very rewarding when you do get it right. Yeah. And that's where like tracking and understanding the cycle is so important, isn't it? Especially for you, yeah. if you get a patient who knows exactly what's going on when then it makes your your life a lot easier absolutely if I could turn back the clocks I guess and when I was a teenager like tracking your cycle is such a simple thing to do yeah um and and for the mums listening to this I would say and their teenagers are are starting their cycle just start to track it like it's nearly everyone has a mobile phone nowadays so you can just put it on an app and it's yeah. great because you don't need to think about it. But, you know, if you've got a competition coming up or you've got a heavy training session or a family holiday, you know, you can kind of tell when the cycle is going to start. But you can also give you great indication as to when things start to go a little bit off. At least you'll have a, a, more of an awareness of that. Yeah, and would that be part of your kind of top tips, Katie, from managing managing your cycle better? Obviously tracking. Are there, are there any other tips you take from the research that you've conducted that can allow women to like you know messages that women can take on board to to manage their cycles better yeah I think tracking is is definitely up there as number one um so that's not just in terms of oh this is I started bleeding on you know this day um it's things like checking you know have you um any cervical mucus changes is there any increase in temperature um how many days you bleed for, how many sanitary towels you use, how many um, tampons you use, if you use sanitary towels versus tampons. Some people will will notice that they get um, a little bit more symptoms if they're using tampons as opposed to sanitary towels. Um, I don't know why that is. I guess we need to do a little bit more research into that area. Um, but tracking your cycle is so, so important. Watching the foods that you eat, make sure you're drinking lots and lots of water. Um, and make sure you're not eating too much processed foods. So the menstrual cycle, I know you, you said that Georgie would uh, describe it as an inflammatory process. Uh, and absolutely. So you've got like pro-inflammatory cytokines that are flying around your body that just lead to that kind of swelling, increased temperature, etc. Um, you don't want to be kind of adding to that in terms of eating all the wrong foods. Um, so you want to turn and try and eat more anti-inflammatory foods to tame down that pro-inflammatory response that occurs every single month. So we get a chance to get this right every single month. If you make one change per month, 
by the end of the year, you'll have hopefully made 12 changes. You'll eventually figure out what works for you. Um, some people find, you know, turmeric really good. Some people find magnesium or omega-3 fatty acids really good. So it's about finding what works for you. Um, and all you have to do is on the app on your phone, just scribble it down. Well, this month I started taking this, you know, this month I increased my water intake by X. Um, so there's loads of ways you can do it. And I'm certainly, I, I've given a number of talks to sports clubs and, and I'm definitely happy for teams to contact me should they they wish to know any further about this. I was going to say, you're, you're preaching to the converted here, Katie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can definitely come on our podcast Brilliant. again. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was Katie Lydon. Um, really pleasure to speak to her today. Um, she aligns with everything that we advocate for on this podcast. And it's um, really um, an, an insight into obviously Katie's in a different country, but thinking on along the same lines and sort of banging the head against a brick wall I think a little bit sometimes but hopefully like you said um, times are changing and there's more research and people like Katie are doing that around female menstrual cycles and not necessarily for, for elite athletes as well I think that's something that resonates with me that this is applicable for half the population half the world's population so mm. really great to chat to Katie there what did you think? Yeah, I agree, Jess. I think she she was a great guest to speak to, and obviously she's a, a very much on the front line of of and has a has a direct impact on women, um, everyday women who who may come in. And I know she's due to start working as a GP, so um, it's good to know that there are people like Katie out there, and and that the education she's received and sought out the correct education to to correctly treat these you know women that come in. But um, it's hopefully that will spread, and and more practitioners will kind of be similar moving forwards um but as you said you know having these different guests on the podcast just hammering home the same messages about tracking nutrition um listening to your body how everyone's different it just really you do start to think actually you know there there's a lot of very well researched and educated people saying the same thing so um it's, yeah. it's, it's good to know so that's it for this week Thank you for joining us as we open up the conversation around female physiology and women's health to do with sport and exercise. Thanks again to our title sponsors for this series, Umi Health. Umi is your go-to one-stop hub for all things pelvic health. Come join the revolution at umi-health.com. We'd like to thank Specialized Bikes for sponsoring this episode. Specialized Bikes is the global leading bike brand aiming to serve all riders of all abilities, helping them to better enjoy every aspect of cycling. Head to specialized.com to see how it's helping pedal the planet forwards. <laughs>